0: This is Power Players with Dan Clark. This is a podcast interview with mixed martial artist and UFC fighting champion, Josh Berkman. Welcome to Power Players with Dan Clark, former athlete, Hall of Fame speaker, New York Times bestselling author, and high performance business coach. Where each week I bring you an inspiring message from an extraordinary human being. who will share their secrets on how you can tap into your personal power to become everything you were born to be. Thanks for spending some time with me today. In this episode, Josh Berkman, the classic, stereotypical stud, muffin, hunk of burning love, professional mixed martial artist ranked in the top 10 UFC fighters in the world for 10 straight years, shares his life of commitment to excellence beginning with his incredible career as an all-state high school football and baseball player and champion wrestler, and all-American running back in college, which led him into the MMA with 47 professional fights, 10 years in the UFC, and 19 UFC fights, giving us an inside glimpse into mindset and heart set of what it takes to be a champion in all aspects of life, physically, mentally, spiritually, and especially as an amazing husband and father. Josh and his wife co-own their martial arts and gymnastics facility while managing their nonprofit organization, Healing Hands, to help children within the community receive movement and breathwork training for physical, mental, and emotional needs. You definitely want to tune in to this amazing interview with Josh Berkman. Velvet and steel, tender and tough, an unbelievably spiritually grounded family man who is one of the baddest fighters and toughest men on the planet. Hi, I'm Dan. Welcome to Power Players with Dan Clark. Every week it seems that I say this is the greatest episode that I've ever recorded, the best interview I've ever had. But you know what? Most of the time when we invite someone onto this podcast who is a true power player, they specialize in just one aspect of life. They're an extraordinary entrepreneur. They have vision. They have passion, creativity, imagination, innovation. They've made a gajillion dollars making money, and they prove true that to be an entrepreneur, you don't trade time for money. You you trade ideas for money. There's no such thing as a financial crisis, only an idea crisis. Ideas create income. But when you're around me enough and you've heard me speak and you hear about my, my balance wheel, that, I, that, that life, I believe, is dissected into nine aspects of life. The common balance wheel that started way back with Norman Vincent Peale and probably Napoleon Hill. I know my mentors Zig Ziglar and Tony Robbins and Brennan Burchard, Jim Rohn, they all have their balance wheel, <clears throat> and most of them dissected life in only six areas and they named them nouns, physical, mental, spiritual, social, financial, and family. And in my experiences, I took a step back and paused to analyze what life really means to me and how to become the best version of myself. I decided there were nine aspects of life, and I changed those titles from nouns to action verbs, physical fitness, continuous education, deeper spirituality, emotional stability, social networking, financial literacy, family togetherness, have, uh, hobbies, fun and recreation, and charitable giving. Where on our planet have you ever met someone who understands and is dedicated to becoming the best best version of himself in, in all nine aspects of life? I can't list anyone until today. <laughs> we have a gentleman by the name of Josh Berkman, and I call him Gentleman, so he doesn't like you know, leap over here and rip my lips off. You've heard the formal introduction, but what I want to dive into today, ladies and gentlemen, <clears throat> is not just the mindset and heart set of a champion, because Josh was an all-state football and baseball player in high school, a champion wrestler, and then in college, obviously, he was an all-American running back at the collegiate level, so he has had a lifetime commitment to excellence in all he does. I want to. I want to investigate the mindset, the heartset of a true champion, especially when you get to the resilience piece. But what what kills me, what what just blows my mind, is how he allowed that commitment to excellence lead him into becoming a martial artist, a mixed martial artist, with forty seven professional fights, nineteen UFC fights and being ranked in the top 10 UFC fighters in the world for 10 years. And yet he's most proud of the fact that he's an honorable husband and a devoted father, dad, with a brand new little baby girl to add to his two sons. And we're going to get into the philosophy and the unique psychology behind what you teach in your dojo to young men and young women that supersedes any physical strength or any any skill set that might have to do with, you know, a single leg takedown, you know, a, a left jab, an uppercut, or any of the things that you are 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 so famous for in the ring. Ladies and gentlemen, Josh Berkman, whoa dude. Well, thank you for that introduction.
1: I'm humbled by it and I also think grateful for the wisdom that uh just spoke about the six attributes and the nine and yeah you're awesome uh, so where can I find those so I can I'll, read about I'll them. send them to you baby all right I'm gonna need that too so let's so just thanks take you, for having me
0: let's take you all the way back I'm so curious yeah. about why someone thinks the way they think and at what stage in your life growing up in your family did you understand the significance of committing yourself to excellence in everything that you do you know I think that um it, it took me a lot of years to
1: kind of really um, figure that out. And it took me struggles at different points in my life to recommit me um, and understand those things. And it, it was almost like in my 20s, there was a level of that. Then the, the, in 30s, there was a greater, greater level of that. And now even in my 40s, I'm understanding a, a greater level of that. Um, but I was, I, was, I was lucky enough to have parents and a father that, that really pushed us into sports. And, and, and said, commit to this. If you commit to this, then you'll have physical health and it'll give you um, so many other attributes. And the reason that my dad did that for us is because he didn't have that. He didn't have an active father. And he always promised that if he had kids that he would be active in their lives and he would give them everything that they possibly had. Where, where we had the best cleats, the best baseball bats, yet my dad was a mechanic wearing the same shoes for two years at a time, you know, like, we didn't have wealth, you know, but we always had what we needed. And we didn't, we didn't know any different. Um, And so I was lucky enough to be able to really dive into sports. And I loved being active and being athletic. And so what I realized is I had a lot of athletic ability. But the more that I put into my, my, my training, the more that I put into my, my sport, the more that I got out of it. And I realized that more and more, as I got older and older, you know, to where finally in college I had to make a decision, you know, and I was like, uh, baseball got me my scholarship, but I want to be great at football. You know, football is what I really want to do. And um, that's when I really started to put in a little bit more effort where I wasn't always the fastest kid on the football team in high school. But when I got in college, I realized the more that I run these sprints, the more that I do this, the better that I get. And that really – was where I started to learn about the effort that you put into it, the more you get out of it. Because I had eight other really, really good running backs at Dixie. You know, I had a a kid that transferred from Virginia. I had a kid from Las Vegas who was the uh, Las Vegas player of the year. And I was like, there's no way that I'm coming to Dixie and these kids are going to beat me out. (laughs) And that took incredible physical effort from me. But it's not where I figured out the mental part of – the game and life it was first figuring out that that physical stuff okay so
0: <clears throat> let's take you back before your 20s to high school yeah, yeah so your dad in his wisdom had the same wisdom as my dad if I can get my son my dad was never an athlete if I can get my son involved in sports because of time management instead of worrying about getting in trouble if you're doing right. something positive you won't have time to do something negative and our Absolutely. positive axles will say no for us so maybe the motivation from a parent's perspective was to see our natural intensity, our natural competitive drive, and then help us focus and, and put it in the right direction in a positive way. Because if it's not positive, the only alternative we have is negative. Right. So let's take us back to that. Were you, were you a natural athlete, complacent with your natural abilities and just let that take over as a football and baseball and wrestler, baseball player and wrestler in high school? Yeah, you know, well,
1: so going back to like with your dad, you know, my dad didn't have his dad active in his life, you know, and so my dad was on the streets a little bit more, was in a little bit more trouble, had to go a rougher way to figure out how to survive, you know, and my dad um, didn't want that for us. He always wanted to play sports, he always wanted to be on the kid, but he didn't have a dad to, to walk him up, to sign him up, to, to even pay for him to be on the baseball team, Um and so, yeah, my dad definitely got us into sports, so we weren't getting in trouble dealing with this boyish aggression that we just naturally had. Um, and so then in sports, yeah, we excelled in sports because we were, we were good athletes. I had an older brother um, that really I, – I wasn't ever in com- competition with the kids my age. I just wanted to hang out with my brother and be able to compete with my brother. I didn't even necessarily want to beat him because he was always a better athlete than me. He was, you know, he had the eight pack when he was 12 years old. And, you know, I I always just wanted to hang out with my brother and be around my brother. And that made me a better athlete. And it wasn't even a competition (laughs) thing because I was never going to be better than him. But I just wanted to hang with him. I love it. You know, and but what that did is it made me better than all the kids my age. All the kids my age, I was I, uh, I was better than them, but not in a competition way. It just was what it was because I was trying to keep up with my older
0: brother. But you validate that we become the average of the five people we associate with. Uh,
1: and, and he was
0: my hero. My See, father was oh, my hero. Yeah. But really, my brother was like
1: the one I really looked up to because he was dominating in everything we were doing. In those young years.
0: I love it. And from a country music perspective, there's a six back in there somewhere.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> under our layers of armor. That's so right? funny.
0: <laughs> but you know what? Uh, when I was in high school, I just, you know, I had the natural athleticism. I played football, basketball, baseball, ran track. And as I look back and people say, Would you ever have a do over? Do you have any regrets? And I say, Absolutely. And everybody yeah. goes, Oh, well, I have regrets. You're the person you are today because of everything you went through, ups and downs, thrill of victory, right. agony of defeat. I disagree. Because in high school, I became so complacent with my natural ability that I never paid the price to be everything I had the opportunity to be until I got the scholarship offers and actually went to college and knew that it mattered and that right. I needed to compete to keep my, my starting job. So as, as, a, as a young man, what can you identify one or two specific events that took you out of complacency as you walked onto that college campus with a scholarship, because I think everybody listening can relate to the fact that when you're on top of the game, when you're the sales champion in your company, when you're the best of the best, when you are the smartest person in the room, whatever the case may be, it's easy to become complacent and go, I'm all that in a bag of chips. You know, I've I've made it compared to everybody else, but compared to yourself, there's still much more work to do. Help us take us back to some memory that you have when, you finally was it your brother's influence was it somebody put you down somebody said you can't right. do it what are you doing here maybe you don't know who I am I'm from Vegas and I'm not, right. you know, I'm all that in a bag of chips
1: well no I mean it my my biggest opponent has always been myself because when I put my mind to something and I decide to do it I've always been I've been blessed enough to be able to figure that out so mine was was actually my brother leaving and going to college and then being on the baseball field and not enjoying being on the baseball field anymore. And baseball was my, my, probably my best sport, but I still loved football. You know, I still, I, I had this love for football, but nobody wanted the five, 10 white kid at tailback in college, you know, and that was just the reality of, of my situation. And so, but then my senior year, Uh, Sports came easy. You know, I I worked hard, but I liked to work hard and I played, but I wasn't always the guy in the weight room. I was always the guy on the wrestling mat, on the football field, uh, playing baseball. But I didn't do off-season workouts because I never had an off-season workout because I always wanted to play. But what happened to me is I was 18 years old, I had never drank, I had never smoked anything, I had never had sex in my my 18 years um, because I was an athlete, sober-minded, wanted to be great. And then my parents got divorced when I was 18 years old. And my parents, I had to always be home at 11 o'clock. You know, they always made sure that, you know, I was coming home clear-headed. Um, and and my parents really looked after me and looked over me. But, you know, my parents went for the, their divorce because it was what they needed to do for the best of themselves. But I hadn't graduated high school yet. I was this impressionable 18-year-old kid trying to decide if I was going to go to BYU, Utah State, what what I was going to do. And then my parents got divorced and nobody cared. They had to look at my dad started drinking again. My mom kind of had to go out and figure out herself. And they left this 18-year-old kid alone to figure out what he wanted without his brother around. Because <laughs> his brother, my brother was at, uh, out playing college baseball and excelling at it. And so I was just kind of lost. I lost my that family support system. I think you called it family something togetherness. Yeah, family togetherness. I lost that at 18 years old, and I had had it my whole life. And so all of a sudden, I was like, "Well, maybe I will try to drink alcohol. Maybe I won't go to class anymore." BYU showed up to recruit me at the high school, um, and I was supposed to meet them for lunch. And I decided not to show up because I was—I didn't know what alcohol was going to do to me, but it made me not show up to that meeting. It made me not care about class anymore, and. I wasn't doing it because I wanted to try something. I was doing it because I was sad my parents got divorced. And I had nobody that was looking out for me or guiding me. And so I lost. I passed up all these scholarship opportunities for football because I was supposed to be at these meetings. I was supposed to be um, deciding. And my coaches are like, Josh, what is going on? And I was like, uh, don't worry about me. Leave me alone. And they did because it, it, they were like, what's going on with Josh? But nobody cared to ask me, like, what, how are you? You doing okay that your parents got divorced? Like, nobody asked me that. Nobody grabbed and put their arm around me and was like, are you okay? They just thought Josh was, sh- should be fine. It's Josh. And so I passed up all the football meetings. I didn't decide what to do with baseball. Wrestling wasn't an option because UFC wasn't a thing back then, and I didn't want to go back east to wrestle. And so, but my wrestling coach cared about me. He's a guy named Ben Ohi. And Bo ben had checked on me all the time, and he's like, "Are you okay? I know what's going on." Still, one of my mentors to this day, one of the best people in my life, and it was it was this coach that cared about me and that, that has been there forever. And so, what happened for me is I was in a I was playing Legion baseball, and I was like, "Man, I what am I gonna do? Like, I need to decide. What school starts in a month, and I don't have any options." And and what I did do, and what my dad always gave me was. Always say your prayers. You know, if you're always if you're by yourself, if you need any guidance, like trust that relationship and say your prayers. And I remember call doing time that. out
0: and check in with the yeah. Coach. And
1: I was I was lost. I had I had nobody. Um, but everybody like looked at me in a certain way. But like I said, nobody checked in on me. You know. And so I said my prayers. And we had a baseball game, and I got up left-handed against Murray. And there was a guy named Steve Schaffbuck There was a were you with, a Ken Price Park. Uh, no, we were playing at Cottonwood. Oh, yeah, it was a little know. deeper, 405. Yeah, yeah I worked <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it at, at Ken, yeah, Ken Price. Was I don't think nice I get right? in and out of you yeah. either, right? And so I got up left-handed, and, um, you know, a pitcher threw a ball and bah, hit a home run left-handed over the houses. And Steve Schaafbuck's like, Josh, where are you going to play? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know yet. And he's like, okay. And then I yeah. got up again later in the game, and I got up right-handed and bah, hit a home run right-handed. <laughs> and Steve Schaafbuck was like, you haven't signed a scholarship yet? And I was like, no, I I wanted to go play football, but, you know, I just, I didn't figure that out. And so he was like, you're coming to Salt Lake. I'll give you a scholarship. And I was like, okay, let's do it. And we shook hands, and I got a full-ride scholarship to go play at Salt Lake Community College. But I didn't lose those bad habits. What I did is I had a scholarship, and I thought baseball and sports was going to just pave the way for me. And I went to school, and we were doing – baseball every day i was going to start at second base my brother transferred he was going to play at shortstop with me but what i wasn't doing is i wasn't going to school because i was drinking i was partying um i literally didn't go to class i just thought oh i'm good enough they'll figure it out this is only salt lake community college and the coach called me in one day and he said um you haven't gone to school josh and i was like yeah yeah maybe maybe i can make that up somehow and he's like there's no way to make that up you're going to lose your eligibility you got to go on a mission or you need to go in the army or you're going to lose eligibility. Like we can't, you know, redshirt you. We can't. And he's like, why are you not going to class? And I broke down and I was just like, man, this is what's going on in my life. I got no support. I got, you know, I, I haven't taken that on myself because I've always had that support and now I don't have it. And so what I decided to do is I'm either going to ruin my life living this way, or maybe I can go in the military and learn a little discipline. And that's what I did. I went into the military. The Army, Army, right? (laughs) I signed up for the Army, and I went into the Army, and I went into basic training. Um, And I I was signed up to be a ranger. I went through airborne school. I went through weapons training, weapons specialty school. They grabbed me out during the military and were like, you want to do special training? And I was like, absolutely. I want to be a high-speed soldier. But, again, I had been in three fights. Um, I wasn't the most... uh, I wasn't the most respectful all the time because I had a lot of fight in me. Absolutely. I had a lot of fight in me, and I was angry. I was upset at my parents, but I didn't blame my parents. I understood that what they needed to do, but it, it, it broke that that family support that I had and, and really tore me down and, and who I was. Um, and so in the military, I learned a lot of really good things, but I was in uh, ranger school, RIP, and in RIP, one of the sergeants um, – one of the, uh, got in my face and they didn't like me because they knew that they needed to break me down. And it was really hard to break me down. You know, it was re- like lack of sleep, extra PT. I was all about it. Like I kept my mind. I kept my wits, which is why they liked me as a soldier.
0: Absolutely. And,
1: uh, one of the sergeants pulled up, poured, um, uh, soap on my bag and said, we'll see you at PT. Uh, we'll see you at formation. And he went to give me a little shove and I didn't like it. And I gave, I tripped him. I hit him. I, 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 got, I, I did the wrong thing. Um, but uh, long story short, um, I was advised to leave the military, and I left, and I thought that uh, we had totally done my DD-214, got me out of the military. And what happened is the captain classified my records, and 10 years later I had to take care of this while I was a UFC fighter. Um, oh my God! Which is a whole, which is a whole another story, and I had no idea that my records had been classified for ten years, and that they were coming to get me ten years later. Um, which is pretty another. It's a whole another story.
0: Episode two, ladies and gentlemen.
1: So I got out of the <coughs> military and um, honorable
0: discharge, dishonorable discharge. Now it I have a classical? general. I
1: have a general discharge, yeah, but cool. I also have ten years of service in classified service, which oh, wow. is not classified. It's just. The captain really liked me. Uh, The sergeant really liked me, and he put my record in classified, and they sent him to Fort Knox. Oh, and they sat in a box for ten years. Wow! And ten years later, some guy said, "Hey, clear these boxes," and my name was in one of the boxes. And he did that so that I didn't get court-martialed. I love it. So that I didn't get in trouble and could come back. And but I never had a DD-214. My aunt was my recruiter. She said, "You were out. It was, and it was done." Oh my gosh! What I did is I went to Snow College. Yes, sir. I had, a full, I had a scholarship to go bay, plays, play baseball because the coach down there, I called him up when I got home. Still, no guidance, no support, except for the love of my parents. They loved me. They wanted me to see good, but they didn't know how to guide me in sports. They're like, get a job, do this. And I was like, I'm going to call up uh, the coach, Gary Anderson, at Snow College and tell him I want to come play baseball. And when he got the phone call, he was like, you want to come play baseball at Snow College? And I was like, yes, I do. Um, and he's like, come down, I'll give you a scholarship. And that was kind of like how I got it back on track, oh, yeah. and then I had a buddy named Chad Holt who, um, when I came home, he's like, "Josh, you gotta play football, you gotta play football." And I was like, "Yeah, I want to." And he's like, "No, you gotta promise me you're gonna play football." And he was drinking and driving one night and rolled his jeep, and and passed away and died. And I just always remember him being like, "Josh, you gotta go play football," and so. When I got my scholarship, I played baseball, then I went and tried out for the football team, got on the football team, but really couldn't figure out this sober-minded thing at 19 years old. And I didn't have one mentor or one coach put his arm around me and be able to just tell me, listen, why are you why are you drinking? Why are you partying? Like, you want to be a great athlete, but like, you're doing this, you know? And And it's why I do what I do now, <laughs> you know? Yeah. All these lessons of like, <clears throat> why, you know, it was like, well, this was what forged me. And,
0: um, and and the six degrees of separation, we don't need to have a a whole laundry list of significant emotional events that changed our stars. We don't need to have 19 people in our lives that directed us. We only need one or two or three at the right moment to put us back on the path, right? To to help us get back up and go again and see the light. So Yeah, yeah, that's so important to remember that right now, you've na- you've named some significant emotional events and some significant people in your life but we're still on one hand
1: right. you got your dad right.
0: you got your brother you got your coach you got the Sight Lake community college you got your captain or sergeant in the right. in the military and and now you got your buddy
1: I mean, yeah. how cool is this you know and, and 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 all these things are you know big markers in my life and, oh. but again i couldn't figure it out at snow college I was good running back. Everybody knew I was the best player on the field every time I stepped on the field, you know. And, um, but that was maybe my problem, you know. That was, and that mixed with smoking weed, drinking alcohol. I, alcohol was never the biggest thing, but that was never uh, the right formula for success. Sure. And so, and, and like I said, I wish wish could have figured that out, but I didn't. And so I had a little bit of uh, problems with the coaches at Snow College, and we played Dixie. And we played Dixie, I had eight carries for 160 yards. <laughs> and there was a guy named uh, Coach Croshaw that oh, coached at yeah, Dixie. Him. I knew him forever. And we, we walked across the field, and Coach Croshaw shook my hand, and he goes, you come to Dixie next year, I'll give you 30 carries a game. And <laughs> kept walking. <laughs> so I ended up at Dixie, and I ended up with 30 carries a game. And uh, that's where, you know, I received, you know, honor b- mention honors and had a full-ride scholarship to go to the University of Utah, and now I was back on track.
0: Absolutely. But
1: I didn't have my Math 1050, and I needed Math 1050. Oh, yeah. So I had to get registered at the U and get my class, and then when school started that fall, I would have my scholarship. But my, I asked my parents, I was like, hey, can you guys help me pay for this math class at the U? Um, I need it for my scholarship. And they're like, we've helped you, and you you got to figure this out. And, and that was kind of like, you know, that's, I don't know that I deserved more. Um, my dad wanted to help me, but I don't think he was in that place to be able to financially help me, you know. And my mom just kind of let me figure it out. She loved me, but finances in school wasn't her way of of showing me that support and that thing. It was always, you want food? Come over. You need a place to stay? Come over. But like, figure this out. You're 18 years old. At this point, I was 20. And uh, so what, I was on my way home. From transferring from Dixie to Utah. And I heard this thing on the radio that said, if you want to be, if you think you're the toughest guy in Utah, then come sign up for these fights. It's the No, uh, no Holds Barred Fights downtown Salt Lake.
0: I remember. Yeah, the what ultimate years, combat what, experience. Yeah, what, what year was that? It
1: had to be 2022. Yes, sir. Or I'm no, 2012. That, yeah. uh, no, 2002. Oh, my god. We're way gosh. back. This oh, is yeah. 20 years oh, yeah, ago. yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, 20 years ago. Wow. 2002. And then I had a buddy call me, right? We have these experiences that kind of validate certain moments in our life. And I had a buddy call me right after, and he goes, dude, guess what I just heard on the radio? They're doing fights downtown. Now, I had been in a lot of fights, and never just to be in fights, but I was always sticking up for people. I never let anybody yeah. get picked on. If somebody was getting bullied, I didn't I didn't necessarily turn them down, yes, but sir. I didn't go looking for them. But sure. I always I – always, and I think that's kind of like this, this folklore – in Utah, is that I was a, a fighter before I was ever a fighter, but I wasn't a mean person, you know. And I always say, you know, I always say I'm a little more like uh, Porter Rockwell than Joseph Smith. Absolutely, you know, I'm a. The, some of us are meant to bless, and some of us are meant to protect. And I'm for <laughs> sure a guardian. I'm for sure a protector, you know. And and I always had that 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 spirit within me, you know. And so that was kind of. Uh, what happened so charlie called me up and he goes there's fights and i go i heard it i go let's do it he goes i wrote the number down for you i go tell me it and um so i called the number and they answered the phone and they said this is the ultimate combat experience can we help you and i said this is josh berkman i want to fight they said where do you train at i said i don't i'm a football player they said you're a football player and you want to fight i said yeah i'm in good shape i can do this and they said well there's fights saturday this is a thursday (laughs) <laughs> like, there, there's Fight Saturday. And I said, I won on the card. They said, well, we only have one guy to fight. And I was like, who is it? They're like, his name's Hank Weiss. He's 9-0, and and he was the champion of the last round. Keep in mind, at this point, there's no UFC on TV. No. Senator McCain has banned the sport. So, you know, <laughs> it's just trying to figure out how to become what it is today. And um, I said, I'll fight him. <laughs> and I said, what, is, what does he weigh? They said 195 pounds. I said, oh, I'll fight this dude. I showed up on Friday and weighed in. I fought him on weighed. Saturday.
0: What did you weigh?
1: I weighed right around 200 pounds. So That's I was perfect, 200. Perfect. He was 195 and I went into this fight, and you know, I was I was just ready for it. But I was wearing wrestling shoes, soccer shorts. Oh yeah, there was. I, what what's the uniform at this
0: point? You know. And they, they give you the rules of engagement. You can use your body parts. You can use knees, elbows, feet.
1: Yep, everything.
0: Did you, you know, take and off the boots?
1: I know. I, I wore them. It was so it. funny. I wore them. <laughs> I was losing my hair a little bit. I had this receding hairline in my wrestling shoes. I love it. Looked like an old school Randy was Couture. He barefoot?
0: Had he? Had he to, was barefoot. He, he's, oh. a, he's a
1: he's a he's a trained jiu-jitsu practitioner so he's been training for years at this time i think he's a purple belt in jiu-jitsu and again he won the tournament before you know yeah, and yeah, i was like yeah. Yeah. nobody
0: wanted to fight him i'm like i'll fight this guy and you say tournament is it like a bracket you fight and then yeah, the winner so fights the winner of the fight
1: yep so they have eight guys Oof, yeah and these eight guys are going to be down into the four into the two and then they'll crown a champion on the same night uh nope it's That's over of the- over a four or six weeks week period yeah right yeah and and I didn't even know that I didn't really <laughs> even know I just knew I was going to get into a fight and I was going to go back and get registered for school and but the winner got paid the winner got the money and I needed the money
0: to pay for the to math, pay for class. the school
1: and so this was my you know means to the end little
0: did i know <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let's talk here so yeah. well no we got to take it one step further so so, so what, what happened
1: so yeah yeah so with that what happened is I fought this guy. I beat him up in the first round. I is it, is it amateur
0: boxing three two-minute rounds?
1: Three three-minute three rounds. Oh,
0: one more. The oh.
1: well, longest fight i ever been in my I life. Know. And I was like, oh, I should be okay.
0: You know, I mean, I've so, never been tired in a fight before. So I, I was a state Golden Gloves boxing champion. And trust me, when you're in the ring and the adrenaline hits, the first two-minute round... You're dead. And you then you it's don't the even second. know how to get ready for that. So it's three two-minute rounds. I can't even relate to a three-minute round. So you've given get it ready. everything you've got in round one?
1: Everything I got. Because I was trying to end the fight oh, the yeah. whole time. I went, sat down in the corner. My brother's at my brothers at college playing baseball at uh, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. My dad wouldn't come to the fight. My mom wouldn't come to the fight. So I got my cousin in my corner, and he's like, how you feeling? And I'm <laughs> like, I, I can't even talk. Hold on. <laughs> And he's like, well, you better... I'm like, I can't move. I can't move. I can't get up. And my cousin's like, well, you better figure it out because you got to get up in 15 seconds. I stood up. I had never been so tired in my entire life. And all of a sudden, the referee's out in the middle of the cage. And I'm like... And it was a ring in the middle of the ring. And he's like, ready? And I'm like, oh, my goodness. He's like, fight. And this kid just marches towards me. I throw a couple punches, pick him up in the air, slam him on his head. The next thing I know... I'm laying on my back in an arm bar. feel like my arm's about to get ripped off, and I tap, and that was it. He won the fight, and I laid in the middle of the ring for a minute, and all I could see was light, probably because I'm so tired, <laughs> and I was like, this is the greatest thing I'd ever done. I hadn't felt this happy in years, and I had just lost, and I was exhausted, and I get up, and they raise the other guy's hand. I can't even tell you what happened. All I know is I went back in the back dry heaved a few times, laid on my back and had this vision that I was supposed to be a professional fighter. And little did I know it would be a 17 year spiritual journey that got me back into sober mindedness, healing my body, helping my, uh, just leading me right to where I needed to be. And I called Chris Hill, the athletic director at the University of Utah that Monday, uh, told him I'm dropping out of school, I'm giving up my scholarship, I'm going to be a professional fighter. And he was like, what? (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, "This is what I'm doing." It's like, okay, you know, and that was it. And you know, I basically really, really now martial arts wasn't easy to me. I really had to dial in on how do I perfect my body, my mind, and my spirit to be the best I can possibly
0: be at this. And to use everything uh, more than just your strategy and your and your hands and blocking the s- stomach shots with your elbows and all the classic yeah, yeah. boxing moves. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's dive into this, bro. <laughs> So, as a professional speaker, I've spoken to the Olympians many, many times over in Colorado Springs. My first experience, I'm there, I spoke to a lot of the athletes, and then I was just curious, and I said, hey, let's just go see where the boxers are, because I was an amateur boxer. Right, right. Always curious about the fighting, So, they huh? take me to the gym, and I'm watching this, this three-minute round. They timed it, because it was a, a, a round of amateur boxing. I mean, it's 2 minutes, but it went, went three minutes. And here's this little guy, fighting this big giant heavyweight, getting the freaking crap kicked out of him. And I'm watching this like, this little guy's like, boom, boom. It was so brutal. <laughs> Brr, they blow the whistle. He comes out to get a drink, and I'm standing. there. I'm like, pardon me. I said, was there not a way in You know, he just didn't think I was funny. I'm like. Can I protect you? Can I help? <laughs> I'm, I'm for sale. You and I help? said, tell me what's going on. He said, I'm four-time gold medalist. And the only way I'm going to win is if I fight and train against somebody who's better than me. And it turns out it wasn't just boxing. It was jujitsu. It was the whole deal. So he's actually taking, he's doing cross-training. Interesting. To learn something that he's never going to use in an Olympic event because he's not a boxer, he was in the jiu-jitsu four-time Olympic. Unbelievable. So I started wow. in those many years ago thinking right. cross-training. So my high school, I was a pretty good athlete. And uh, Where did you go? I went to East High. And then I, went, I played okay. football and baseball at the University of Utah, 90-mile-an-hour fastball as a pitcher. Okay. But football was my best sport because I always showed up at the line of scrimmage in a bad mood. Right, right. You gotta fight, you know. Oh, love it. I had Fighter so mentality. many fights. I never started a fight, but baby, Are you, you sure finish, ended man? a few. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, to, to understand the mindset of what you need to do to get better, I've never forgotten about the cross training. And so when I'm a senior in high school, I get hurt the third game of the season. And I thought all oh, my scholarship offers were just going to go football? down the toilet. Yeah, yeah. football and I got better, I recovered in time to play basketball. And it turns out that the football coaches who had been recruiting me, because they saw me playing basketball and could see my side-to-side agility, could see my intensity on defense, they equated that to, whoa, he is an athlete. Right. We are still gonna issue a, a football scholarship. So the tr- cross-training mindset has always been part of me. Right. That's A to start our, our next conversation but I cannot ignore your shirt with Muhammad Ali. Right, right. So yeah. I'm the Golden Gloves boxer. I'm the great white hope.
1: Yeah, yeah, I got
0: white wrestling boots with red tassels. I got the set killer Clark on the back. I mean, I'm just <laughs> such a piece of work. And they would introduce I me, and that. I'm like, you know, I had the Clark. I, I mean, I had the Ali shuffle. I had it all. The Clark year. shuffle. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you can
1: rephrase it. So 1988,
0: I'm speaking in Berrien Springs, Michigan, at Andrews University, the student body. And I'm in the student union building doing a book signing, and these two lads walk by talking about Muhammad Ali had been on campus. That's where he lived. I stop in my tracks. I'm like, no, kidding, where is is he? And they go, no big deal. He lives here. He comes to to campus every day to pass out his Islamic uh, literature. So I finish my book signing, and I say to the student body president, you know where Muhammad lives? He goes, yeah, on the outskirts of town. He bought bought Al Capone's 88-acre ranch. And I said, you want a camera? He goes, why, do you want to go to his house? I'm like, Absolutely. So we hop in his car with two of his buddies, the four of us cruise out of town, and we pull up, and his gates open, and it doesn't say no trespassing, it says welcome. Wow. I said, Are you guys coming? They're like, You can't go up there. I'm like, Yeah. I walk up his circular driveway. I knock on his door. His wife answers. She says, May I help you? I'm like, Yeah. Is Mohammed in? She goes, Yeah. Can I tell him who's calling? I'm like, Yeah, Dan. <laughs> she goes <laughs> and gets him. You gotta be kidding me. This is 1988, way before Parkinson's set in. Uh-huh. He invites me in. I'm like, I've got three buddies in the car. Can they come in? He goes, yeah. I'm like, they're like, no way. They're diving over bushes, slide in to his house. For five hours, we are Muhammad Ali's house guests. We watch his greatest fights on his big screen, the thrill in Manila. And eventually, I got to speak in Aeronauta Coliseum, so I'm in the green room downstairs. Looking at all the photos, looking at all the memorabilia, getting fired up to go out and speak. And I'm like, whoa, you got to give me the microphone. It was unfreaking believable. At the end of this five hours, and he fed us, he did magic. It was so awesome. Incredible. I mean, what? He puts his big hand around me. He says, Danny, you got any questions? I said, yeah, you're three time world champion, which means you've been defeated twice by inferior opponents. Why? He said, I got complacent. I said, what do you mean, champ? He said, I forgot that when the fight begins, I no longer hold the title. I've put it up for grabs and I must be brilliant at the basics and fight as hard as I did the first time I won it to win it back. I've never forgotten that. I've shared that message of complacency with corporations all over the world and they they're like, whoa, I can't right. believe it. it's so powerful. So when I ha- and I have that that picture in my house, I have signed autograph gloves and books. I mean I'm such a fan. Yeah. But that one moment in time and that lesson reminded me about cross-training, about no matter what your past has been, you have a spotless future. Today's a brand new fight. Today's a brand new training day. I don't care how hard you worked yesterday or how exhausted you are this morning. That's your reputation on the street, Josh, that you are this relentless, focused human being first who can compartmentalize what you have to come up with in the ring, and then go home and be that do- that doting father, that amazing husband, that giver to the young men and young women in your dojo to teach them what you learned on this physical, mental, and most important, spiritual journey. So th- I, excuse me, I laid the foundation for where I want to take this because this is who you really are. I want to know the mindset of what it takes to Prepare for every new fight, starting with training day when there's no one around except maybe the family togetherness that you now recreated in your own home that isn't there at the dojo necessarily, even though you're co-owners with your wife. But take us to that journey and let's just start to consolidate your message to the world about the mindset and heartset of what it really takes to put in the work Everybody wants to win, but very few are willing to prepare to win. We've both heard that our whole lives. Yeah, yeah. Take us to that moment. Take us to those moments. Take us to that mindset, heartset, that spiritual journey that you're you're so eloquent to talk about. Well, you know, it's
1: it was a it was a it was a 20-year journey, right? Of 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 competing. And it was really this journey of um, serving the ego, fulfilling the ego, and letting the ego go which is the 20s and the 30s and now where I'm at in my 40s. And there were times that I was so focused, so sober-minded, and I became great in those moments. You know, I what I did is I won 9 fights in a after that first fight, I won 9 fights in a row. Okay,
0: so you've won the first no you lost the first one. Lost the first, the first
1: one. And then I won every fight. How, and,
0: how long how much time went by before you got a chance to jump back in the ring?
1: Uh, I was fighting two weeks later against another guy that lost. And then I fought again, and then I made my way back into the final because one of the guys got hurt, and I got a rematch against Hank Weiss, who was in the final again. And I beat him in three seconds. (laughs) I beat him in three seconds.
0: (laughs) I'll have to show you this video. Muhammad Ali won before he climbed in the ring. And I was the same way. So I want you to tell us about that. So what I did
1: is the loss... I didn't lose. Time, uh, time ran out. I, lo- I just learned. I just learned that this game is a completely different animal than football, be- baseball, or wrestling. This is not a game. This is a fight. And that's different. And so what I did is I saw a video on a guy named uh, my wrestling coach, Ben Ohi. gave me a rest. He goes, if you're going to do this, watch this video. And it was called Choke. And it was on Hicks and Gracie. And Hicks and Gracie was sitting in a river, completely calm. With snow all around him and steam coming off his body, and I w- and then he was talking about breath and how our breath is our you know our spirit. It's our life force, and and if we can learn to breathe and keep the mind calm, then we can start to master everything around us. So I started meditating every day. I started taking cold showers, sitting in cold baths, and then I started reading these old martial arts books um, and studying jujitsu and. St- going to class and I became obsessed with and disciplined with training martial arts but who I also picked up was Bruce Lee which I already know you're gonna yeah yeah and Bruce Lee was my first
0: coach Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is a dear friend and I've written five speeches for him in his in his TED talk and one of the highlights of his life that allowed him to be the NBA leading scorer is his his adoration and his followership of Bruce Lee yeah getting to uh, meet him getting incorrect. to train I've with him incorrect. can you imagine
1: i i can because i have yes yeah, reading these oh. books and things like that i, I he's my first coach because wow. i it's not like you could go down the street and go train mma when i started there was no mma gyms there was a couple jujitsu gyms pedro sour walt bayless had kind of stepped away at this time um so i i had to figure out how to be a professional fighter? I had to go over here to box. I had to go over here for jujitsu. I had to call my wrestling coach and be like, "How do you think wrestling?" And and really, there was there was nobody to coach me. I was wow. the first guy that was pursuing this this way, and so Bruce or Bruce Lee was my first coach, and and I dove into his philosophy. So all of a sudden. It wasn't so much about physical. I had to train the physical body. I had to learn these techniques. I had to get them down over and over and over, but I really had to dial in this mental game and, and start to have this philosophy of I can't just be a boxer. I can't just be a wrestler. I can't just be a jujitsu guy. I need to take the best of this boxing and the best of this wrestling and the best of jujitsu and the way that it forms to my own body and use all those techniques in the best way possible. Which also created my philosophy for life all of a sudden because I always studied Jesus, I always studied these spiritual teachers, I always had this yearning for like energy and spirit and God and wanted to know this. You know, it was a. I feel like I'm a warrior of God. I'm 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 in God's army. I'm I'm and 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 I want to create this um, better path for people, right? And and I didn't. I knew that, but I didn't know that fighting was going to forge that, right? And so.
0: Let me interject. Yeah, yeah. America without soldiers is like God without angels. You've mixed both of them together in a perfect philosophy and physical uh, a physical showcase. Thank you.
1: Well, I, I appreciate you saying that. And I'm like I said, I'm learning, I'm getting a lot of wisdom too. And, you know, what it did though is I loved the Mormon church, but I was different. I loved, because I wasn't nice. I wanted to compete and I wanted to conquer and I had this ego of it. 22-year-old that want to be the baddest dude in the world, you know? And, and how did how was somebody going to guide me in that? I didn't have anybody, you know? And and so what I did is I was like, I like this stuff of the church, but I like this stuff about martial arts. So I started to take what I liked from the church. I started so, to take what I liked from martial arts. I started to take what I liked from Republicans, and I'd like to take what I liked from Democrats. And I was my own human being. I took what I liked, and I left what I didn't. And that's what Bruce Lee taught, Jeet Kune Take what you like, leave what doesn't, and move on. And that's kind of like what martial arts gave me and what Bruce Lee gave me. The cross-training mindset.
0: Just do whatever we have to do to learn what we need to learn from every aspect. Yeah, to, to not
1: only be the best athlete and fighter I could be, but to be the best human I could be. Absolutely. And so... Then I won nine fights in a row with that mindset by becoming that person, and then it wasn't Learning enough. Learning
0: to breathe, finding that c- quiet mind, as we say, that yeah, yeah. that still yeah. confidence. Yeah, that's
1: that co- that inner confidence that I was like, I believe in myself, and and two, Le-
0: it had Le- to be earned
1: through the training.
0: Okay, so know. let me let me interrupt because you were running back, and so was I back in the day. I used to return kickoffs and punts, yeah, yeah. and the only time I made a highlight film was when they made fun of me because I'm like. <laughs>
1: Making sure it was all right? No, I'd
0: lose like 30 pounds before they ever kicked me the ball. Right, right. And I sat down with, with Dr. Henson up at the University of Utah Sports Psychologist, and he said, start thinking like a rubber band. He said, at pregame warm-up, just start to stretch it. And when you finally get to that end zone on the on the one-yard line, you have maxed it out. And the second your fingers touch the ball, you let go of the rubber band. And you're like, <gasps> Yeah, yeah. So you had to learn... How to compartmentalize your energy? Because think about it, pre-fight,
1: yeah. Well, take and, us, take us there weeks for weeks of who
0: never, Yeah, weeks of training. But then, how can you train to control that extraordinary excitement, that adrenaline rush that can drain your energy right, right. once the referee says fight?
1: Yeah, you know, it was um, it, w- it was years, but even in the UFC, guys like Donald Cerrone and, and other fighters were like, Dana, can you put me in Berkman's locker room? he's always so calm because I would be sleeping under the table before my fights and I would barely warm up because I knew I was ready to fight, you know? And and what that was, was when you got a fight, it's like, Hey Josh, you're fighting. It's like, "Whoo, I'm ready. You know, but then as you train, you break your body down, you know, and the mind's like, man, am I ready for this? Am I? And you go through these all kinds of different emotions and I just learned to kind of like understand what was happening with the body. My body's just tired. You know, I need to eat. I need to, but I was always knew that I was kind of breaking my body down to ramp back up. And then as the fight got closer, you have more nerves and more butterflies. But what I learned is that is just the body prepping for war. So I started to learn to love the butterflies and to enjoy them. Not to like make that energy make, me be like, oh, what if I got hurt? What if I got injured? To take away any of the doubt, and to just be like, I'm ready. Get the, the butterfly.
0: Get the butterflies to fly in formation.
1: Yeah, they they would fly in formation, and they would, and then I would learn to move them into my body to strengthen my body. So I would take the energy and I'd move it to my heart, and then I would move it to my head, and then I would visualize the perfect fights. I would visualize me going out and performing amazingly, and then I would put a mantra to that visualization. So I'd be cool, calm, and confident. I will perform like a champion. And I would repeat that until I felt that hand raised again. And I just started to make that a practice in my life in everything that I would do. Um, and so that's kind of, as the fight got closer, and the butterflies, and I always say it's essence. And as you move essence into the heart, it bec- uh, into the into the dome of power, into the ribs, it becomes energy and power. And then as you raise it into the heart, it becomes spirit. And you become lighter, and you become more able to enjoy life, and 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 that's what I was doing as a martial artist. I was taking essence, and I was bringing it into energy, and I was raising it to spirit. And then I was using my visualization and manifestations to create the life that I wanted to create. And that off was
0: out of the ring, out of the cage, as of, well as in the cage, out of the cage. So in there's in the the no cage. separation of who Josh Berkman is inside or outside of the fight ring.
1: Absolutely. Uh, well, there might have been some trying to figure that out with that is the goal
0: for all of us because in life be the same off stage as we are on stage the same in the fight as we are out of the fight
1: but I guess my issue my problem in my 30s or in my early 20s because in the 30s I got it dialed in was I would live two lives I lived a life of a of a fighter and a martial artist and I would train for nine weeks and I would be disciplined consistent I was going to bed at I was in bed at eleven. I was up at eight. I was, you know, getting my half-hour naps in, eating, training, but then in my twenties, because I think I'm a 25-year-old kid that gets into the UFC. So I moved to I moved to uh, Oregon, and I lived in an attic. And all I wanted to do was study martial arts and study the scriptures. So I would train three times a day, and when I got home, I would read the Bible, and I would read the Book of Mormon. And I would study, pray, and do martial arts, and I lived like a, a monk. And that's and a year and a half, a year and a half later, I was in the UFC. But I was visualizing it. I was picturing myself walking out into the UFC. I was training every day. I was being healthy. I was being sober minded. I made it to the UFC in a year and a half, which as, is pretty pretty incredible. As
0: Captain Morona you know. incarnate. Yeah. <laughs> that's
1: good. And and that's that's what that's what I did. And then all of a sudden, I was in the UFC. I was on the Ultimate Fighter. I had won my fight. I broke my arm in the house, and I broke my arm in the first round of the first fight. And, uh, but I won that fight with a broken arm. How many later? Uh, I fought for 12 minutes with a broken arm and won that fight. The referee raised my arm, and I was like, oh, my arm's hurt. Now I could feel it. And so they, they took me to the hospital. Um, my arm was broken. Dana White came and got me and said, you're off the show. You're off the Ultimate Fighter. He said, but you're going to be great. He's like, I can see it in you. Get healthy. Get back. I'll give you a shot on the Ultimate Fighter finale to get a contract. And so I went home, and I did. I lived the right way. I did everything the right way. Um, and literally the right way, which is right doing, which is righteousness. I lived that way that martial arts has taught me to take care of the body, the way that the church taught me to live the word of wisdom. I was living this way. And in my 20s, when I lived that way, I was successful. And when I didn't, I went down. And it was like, it's so obvious to me now. It was obvious to me then. But it was a a lesson that I went through in my 20s. And so now I had a chance on the Ultimate Fighter finale to beat this guy named Sam Morgan. And if I beat Sam Morgan, I got a nine-fight UFC contract. If I lost, I was out. And I beat Sam Morgan in the exact way I envisioned it over and over and over in 21 seconds. And I got a nine-fight contract.
0: Okay, so... I love to consolidate and compartmentalize and try to reiterate.
1: And I was 25 years old.
0: So what he's been teaching us, my friends, is that there's a difference between training to fight and training to win. What Muhammad Ali taught me all those years ago, and you're the epitome of what he is about. I am the greatest, and he's going to prepare and make sure that he does everything he knows how to do. Okay, so at what time (laughs) or what place in your life... Did you attract this beautiful woman that, that completes your, your spiritual journey, that's your, that's your teammate, that's your cohort, right. that's your togetherness as, as a family? Well, this is a year ago, <clears throat>
1: actually. So I, I got married and divorced.
0: Mm-hmm. At what age? At, what age?
1: at um, 29. Okay. So, so what happened in my 20s is I was in the UFC from 25 to 30 years old. But the UFC at that time, there were only 100 of us. And we were like, people were like, you're a UFC fighter. Celebrities wanted to be around us. People with big business. Everybody was making money 2005 to 2009. And everybody wanted to give it to us. Oh, yeah. The the, the real estate people, you know, oil company. I mean, we had sponsorship money everywhere. Well, guess what? Nobody taught me how to deal with that money.
0: You got it. I get it. Nobody
1: taught me how to deal with, you know, at famous people being like, want to come to this party? Club, club owners being like, yo, here's a table, bottles. And I had a buddy named Jackson Vroman, who was my college roommate, who also got drafted by the Phoenix Suns at the same time. So Jackson's 24, I'm 25, I get into the UFC, he gets into the NBA, and we're like, hey, let's go. I get it. And so it. he was, We uh, at one point in my, I was training for fights, and the other time, We were the best rock stars on the planet. We wanted to be great athletes, and we wanted to be at the coolest parties, and we did both those things. But that also made my career up and down. So when I needed money, I did extra good. (laughs) And when I was doing good and won a couple fights in a row and had plenty of money, we were in L.A., and we were living out of hotel rooms. And so my life was up and down. At 29 years old, me and Jackson were at a hotel or at a party in in West Hollywood and we were in the top of this house looking over West Hollywood by the pool. And I knew that my life was going to change needed to change or that this is, this is, I would be to my thirties and I wouldn't make it. I would die in my thirties because that's how we were living our lives at times, you know? And, um, I told Jackson, I looked at Jackson, I said, man, I love you. This has been a great run, but I'm going to move home to Utah. And I was living in Las Vegas at the time. I said, I'm going to move home to Utah I'm gonna clean up my life. I'm gonna stop partying. I'm gonna get married. I'm gonna have kids, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make another run at this UFC thing. But I'm done partying. And he said, "Well, I always knew that. You know, I always knew you wanted to be a dad. I always knew you wanted to be a father." He said, "But for me, I'm just getting started." <laughs> He's like, "Man, thirties are gonna be the best times of my life." And I was like, "I know, and I love you, bro." And like, "But our journey is doing this together ends now." Uh, I went home, I hurt my knee training for a fight, and I had these visions of me hanging out with these two little boys. And I feel like my little boys were just calling their dad and saying, we're ready. And you know, it's really hard to explain to people how real those visions and dreams were because I was on the couch for three weeks healing a hurt knee, waking up every night having these dreams. And um, so what I called, uh, I, when I was 25 years old, I had a girlfriend named Brandy. And we made a deal that if we weren't married or had kids at 30, that we were going to get married and we were going to have kids. And at 30 years old, with my hurt knee, I called her on the phone and I said, we're going to have little boys and I'm I'm ready to be married. And she's like, okay, let's do it. <laughs> Two weeks later, we were married in my parents' living room. A month later, she was pregnant with our first kid. She knew it was a little girl. She's like, this is a little girl. I said, I know this is a little boy. Like, I know I know you want a little girl, but this is a little boy. And uh, nine months later, we had a little boy. And then she got pregnant again. And she's like, I know this one's a little girl. And I said, I just think it's a little boy. And um, then, you know, we had another little boy. <laughs> so we had those two little boys, and they the two little boys that I had these, that I saw. I mean, I... I I saw them. I played with them. They said they were ready, and the, it was my it was me and my brother in a different form. And now I'm raising me and my brother in a different I love form. It. And um, then at 29, and at 29 years old, 30 years old, um, I made a comeback, and I was a husband, father, and I won the fights I needed to win to get back into the UFC. Got back into the UFC, top 10 in the world, and there was one fight. When I was 35 years old, there was a guy named John Fitch. And John Fitch, and this is going to kind of everything full circle because I was living right, you know, sober-minded, doing everything the way I could do And it wasn't even about me. It was about my wife. It was about my family. It was about creating this life for us. And we. uh, I was fighting this guy named John Fitch who beat me in the UFC in 2007. And he was the number three ranked world fighter in the world. And he said, "I'm leaving the UFC. Dana doesn't pay enough. I'm going to go show the world that I can make money and be the best guy in the world outside the UFC." And he just happened to run into the, to me. <laughs> and I wanted to beat John Fitch. You know that was. And we were getting paid a lot of money building this other organization. And I kept beating guys that I wasn't supposed to beat. I beat a guy that was. I was a four to one underdog. Beat him. Everybody's like, "Okay, Berkman's old. He's not going to beat this next guy," who was, you know, a guy named Aaron Simpson. Uh, all American wrestler from Arizona state destroyed him. He didn't even touch me first two minutes of the first round. And then it was John Fitch, this guy that's ranked number three in the world. And I just kept visualizing this cause I had this picture on my, uh, wall in my office, First minute, first round. And I just kept visualizing first minute, first round. And I was like, I In my interviews, I'd be like, I'm beating John Fitch in the first minute of the first <laughs> round. I guarantee it. And the interviews would be like, you look like you're serious. I'm like, I am serious. I've seen this over and over. John Fitch has no chance. I cannot be beat right now. The way I'm living my life and what I'm doing, nobody can beat me. And me and John Fitch went and fought. Uh, I think I was 35 years old. And we went out, threw a couple punches, knocked him on the ground, hit him with a guillotine choke, stood up over him, just like this. And look it up. Josh Berkman beats John Fitch. The referee couldn't even stop the fight. I let him go, turned him over, stood above him. And in that moment, I felt complete oneness, complete connection with the divine, with the crowd, with everyone. And it was the greatest moment in my career because I had done what I said I was going to do. Jackson... And this is the sad part of the story: passed away that same year in Los Angeles, and he uh, overdosed um, and fell in a pool in Los Angeles. And Jackson lived the life he wanted to live. He didn't want to have kids. He didn't. He lived the life of this rock star and went hard. And you know, and it's nobody can beat alcohol. Nobody can beat drugs. You know, like you, you just can't beat those things. No matter. He was the most powerful human. I knew, you know, he was, he was like me, he was my brother, but he couldn't beat those things, and, you know, he'll always be a part of me, but those were the greatest lessons for me, is that, like, you know, I wanted to be a father, I wanted to be a kid, you know, have, have kids, and, you know, me and my wife at that time, Brandy, you know, we, 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 we separated, she didn't like that I was a fighter, you know, I got home from a fight one time in, uh, from Canada, and, you know, all I want to do is lay on the couch. She's like, I want to go on vacation. I want to, you know, and I was like, I couldn't quite make her happy. And she didn't quite understand me. And I feel like we had a soul agreement to have these boys together, you know. And, and you know, when we got divorced, my career, I had hit that peak. That's what it was about. I physically and mentally had figured it out. But spiritually, there was more. There was more. I, You know, there's a quote by the Dalai Lama that says, we're here for 99, 100 years and why we're here, we should do something useful and something good with our lives. And if we contribute to the happiness of others, we'll fi- figure out the true meaning of life. And now all of a sudden, it wasn't about me anymore. You know, it was about me being a good dad, raising these two kids, being the best dad I did. Because I didn't get divorced because I wanted to go out and live a life that I couldn't live when I was married. I just needed somebody, you know, that understood me spiritually. That, uh, that, that you know, and... Um, but so what I did is I was just a good father. I, I I gave everything to being a good dad, to being a good ex-husband. And my career kind of like went downhill, you know, and, and 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 in truth I was I was okay with that because it wasn't I wasn't that fighter anymore. You know, I I wanted to move into this different phase of of life. And so then I just, you know, really focused on being a dad for five years and then I came to this place where I was like. This is, this is what happened, actually. I, was, I woke up one morning at uh, 7.30 in the morning. And my little boy, he's seven years old. His name's Atlas. And he was outside. And I could hear this noise as I woke up. And I was like, what is going on outside? And I walk outside, and there's a giant box. And he's stabbing it with a sword and hitting it with a sword. Very technical uh, samurai chopping. And I, and I looked at him and I go, we need a woman, we need a woman around here. And (laughs) that's what I realized, you know, I, I do, I do want a family. You know, I don't want to just raise these boys by myself. I need that family togetherness. I need that woman into my life and I need to let love into my life again. I don't need to just help everybody and push everybody away. And now I'm retired. I've taken two years off. I've really gone through the space of really healing myself and letting that go and, I met my wife now, uh, her name's Emma and, uh, at a retreat in Montana and, um, she is the perfect, um, yin to my yang, you know, and she's, you know, I I really want to make sure, you know, I, I, I look up to you from afar, you know, because I see who you are as a father, who you are as a pillar in this community. Um, and you know, I want to be. a a good husband and I want to raise my kids together and I want my kids coming back to my house for our big celebrations. I always wanted that, but it's almost like I had to fulfill my ego first. And that moment I stood over John Fitch, I fulfilled my ego and now my ego surrendered to where it's not about me. It's about my family. It's about my wife. It's about my community. And that's where this kind of phase has gone. I'm 42 years old now. I retired when I was 38 years old and I had to go through a couple years of healing and now, you know, I, I'll let people forget that I was a fighter because, you know, I'm, I'm in a different place now where I'm a teacher and I'm a coach. And I would like to take all these lessons that I've learned from all the struggles in my life and just help people learn how to breathe and how to have good posture and how to be confident. And that's what we do at the dojo, you know, is now I'm in this phase of a teacher and, and I'm taking all these lessons I learned and trying to add to the happiness of all those around With you. a
0: new baby girl. With a new baby You got baby that girl, girl that... Yeah, yeah. Balanced yeah. things out a little uh, in I'll the Berkman household. You got it. Yeah. You know, dear, dear friend of mine, Gary Brecke, he's famous for saying, if we're selfish in the morning, we can be selfless all day long. And if you put that into the context of your 42 years of life, you know, taking care of you first. There's nothing to be apologetic about when we have to get our right get ourselves right fulfill that ego, be the best version of ourselves so that we're in a mindset and a heart set to turn and serve others, lift them up.
1: Because right, right. it's hard
0: yeah. for us to strengthen someone else if we're weak.
1: You know Absolutely.
0: I mean? And so I yeah. commend you. Absolutely. I honor you, bro. Whoa. Yeah.
1: It's been a journey, you know, and it's, it's, it's interesting to look back at that and be like, you know, this... And my 20s were very physical. My 30s were really mental. But as you blend those things together, mental and physical it becomes a spiritual energy that is about you that I think that spiritual energy really is, is, is bringing that energy to the heart and um, really through strengthening yourself through becoming the best version of yourself that you can become. And then when you become that version of yourself, well, then you want to help and you want to serve. And it's like, you know, I've, I've, I've conquered everything that I wanted to conquer. I became the greatest that I could be in that fighting field And that was the surrender of the ego to where it's like now I would just like to be a vessel that's able to help, um, you know, for one, provide for my family, be a good husband, be a good father, and let that spread out through helping the kids and and helping my community. And that's the road that I'm taking in my 40s, and it's just beginning, and it's every bit as exciting as the ultimate fighting path. It just might not be as glamorous.
0: (laughs) Actually, it is, because what matters most is what lasts the longest <clears throat> and can you imagine, as a parent, what it would be like to have our sons and daughters be tutored, mentored by you? You know, having the opportunity to watch you, understanding that it's not enough for us to practice what we preach; we must preach only what we practice. Yeah, they're watching by Josh our example. Bertman, you got that right. So, how do we support you? How do we, how do we find you? Have you written a book yet? If not, I'm throwing <laughs> my hat in the ring publicly. I've got that process wired and streamlined. We have to get your message and your influence out to more people in the world. And I honor you. I appreciate, I appreciate you for that. joining us on Power Players. Yeah.
1: You know, I think that, you know, there's a there's a quote. And it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in war. And I feel like I've earned that. You know, I love being in my yard. I love um, taking care of my yard, doing our garden, hanging out with my family. But what that is, I put myself in some of the most chaotic situations that m- – a human can be in a fist fight at the highest level war at the highest you know, level outside of armed combat. And i found peace in that. And now I can walk through all these different aspects of life with, with confidence and with peace. And I know the path. I know the path of being an aggressive young man and getting to this place of peace and all the things that come up, the world, the desires, the worldly distractions. And I also know how to, work our way through those and so what i'm doing now is is i have a a a a, a business that i run with my wife it's it's a it's a a martial arts facility healing hands well that's it's called the dojo dojo. what we do at the dojo is we teach movement meditation uh gymnastics and grappling and striking jujitsu boxing and we teach all these different uh aspects of movement and martial arts but then also we have a uh uh, nonprofit, which is my wife's and it's called healing hands and what healing hands is, is healing hands is the mission is to make available these meditation and movement practices to all kids within the mountain ranges I so really that any that. but nobody gets turned away because they can't afford it and what we're doing now is we're running um, workshops like mill creek commons well every friday so any kid that wants a try it out and play with it can come and try it out for free no charge and then we're also giving scholarships at um, our dojo we're working with other dojos now we're helping other um, martial arts facilities do the same thing we're doing at Milky Commons and it's like it's like being a white belt in jiu-jitsu you know it's first you got to kind of learn a few techniques and then you put these techniques together so we're going nice and slow so that I learn how to run a business but and, and help a nonprofit, so we don't get in trouble so that we do it all the right way because the goal is to fulfill the mission and the mission is to make martial arts and these kind of mental and physical trainings available to all kids within the mountains in, in, in the Utah Valley. Yeah. I love you.
0: Yeah. You know, so. being here in Utah, our fans and followers of Stephen Covey who created a limiting belief when he reminded all of us, he taught us to begin with the end in mind and as I've been sitting here, you know, basking in your wisdom and your 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 journey, you use the word "path" a few times. You you validate that. You know, it's not about a fight; it's about fighting. It's not about serve; it's about service. So we we shouldn't begin with the end in mind, because that forces us to focus on a destination that's impressive. Look at me. Do our best to manage people, and reward results. I won this fight. Now it's over. Now I can just hang my hat and not work again, not work out again. No. What would happen if you begin with the why in mind, which empowers us and inspires us to enjoy the journey that's important yes. and, and and only manage expectations and reward effort, which means you can't just go to the gym once. It's an ongoing Effort it's an ongoing path, and that's what you represent to all of us. I'm so glad I finally got to meet you in person. Yeah. Absolutely. You've been a hero and a mentor, and we've got to we gotta hang out more often. I need yeah, to expose you to everybody who matters most <laughs> to me because you're the real deal. Well, I appreciate that.
1: You know, and I think, you know, if you said what would what would be the message or the support, you know. I feel like, you know, God kind of helped me understand my path. I've had, you know, we talk about, you know, now's a person important time for personal residence revelation, to ask for it, to seek it, to, to play with that yourself, you know, and I knew that my path as a fighter was over, that I had fulfilled that, and, you know, my place as a teacher was, was now here, you know, and, and I think that, you know, the biggest thing is, I'm, I'm not a fighter anymore, because fight, the definition of fighting is to struggle, and all of us deal with forms of struggle in our life, and we have to learn how to manage that, and right behavior, and right doing, Helps us to get over those worldly desires and the things that um, hold us back. And when we can get past that, the path is easier and it's lighter, you know. And, and my biggest thing or advice would be now is we have so many opinions, and we are, we and, and it separates us from everything and everybody. But you know, if I could say one thing, people's like just just find the love, find the togetherness, you know. And love is love is nurturing and it is supporting. And that's what we need more of, is we need more loving and more supporting. And even at the dojo, we're not just teaching kids to fight, we're not just teaching them these techniques. We're teaching them to breathe. We're teaching them to have confidence, and we're teaching them these things that are invisible that will better their lives because it's not the professional fighter or the trained martial artist that is causing problems or picking on people. It's the insecure one, the weakling that's always trying to prove themselves. And I'm just trying to create strong humans that can build this togetherness and take care of each other so that we can get rid of the fighting and we can get rid of the the the, the war and the constant trying to prove each, themselves of um, what's happening in the world today. I want I want us to just be more cohesive and that's a little weird coming from a guy who spent 20 years in the octagon, you know. But no, it's like, it's
0: deeper wisdom, you know. You yeah. don't you don't prove it with your mouth, you prove it with your you prove it in the gym, you prove it in the in the ring, you prove it in the cage. And, and
1: the best thing we could do is, you know, is when you say, how can we help you, yeah. is I appreciate the platform to come on and talk. Absolutely. And I just feel like as long as I stay in the right way, everybody that needs to show up and learn from me and be with me is going to be is going to be there. And I feel like that's why things like this are happening, you know, is because I think that we're doing something good within our community. And I truly believe that as long as I stay on the right path, that I will have all the help that I need to be able to help the people that I need to help.
0: So there you have it. Ladies and gentlemen, friends, followers, subscribers, viewers, if you have to tell them that you are, then you aren't. <laughs> I love you, man. I honor you. You are the real deal. And I can't wait to, uh, to support you and invite everybody who matters to each of us to support you in every way we possibly can. God bless you and your family.
1: Well, thank you very much. God bless you. Send me that information because I, I would love that information. And uh, I think that our friendship and everything is oh. just gathering because as, as I look for you know Randy Couture to be my mentor and I look for these great fighters and champions to be my mentors you know I'm, I'm, mentors are showing up in my life to That's be right. able to kind of show me a path to be able to help more than what I'm. Working. I think that, uh, that uh, our meeting here is no reason I've known who you are for a long time. So cool. I've to you from afar. And Thanks. I'm grateful to be able to be
0: You're here such and have this conversation you. with you. Thanks, good brother. Yeah. Josh Berkman, ladies and gentlemen. Josh Berkman, the champion's champion. Thank you. The views and opinions expressed on the Power Players podcast do not necessarily reflect those of KUTV or Sinclair Broadcast Group.